The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. Happy Thanksgiving, or I guess if you're listening to this after Thursday, happy holidays, right? We are very much in the season, uh, as it were, right now. So you know what today's episode is. It is part two of our conversation with Bob Costas, and this really gets into the meat of where he is right now and where he is going. So I'm going to step aside and get right back into things. Here is part two of my conversation with the legendary Bob Costas. So you recently made an admission on Adam Shine's podcast that I found very interesting. You said, looking back at your old games, uh, that you realize you're only at about 90% of what you used to be. Is that a painful thing to admit and come to terms with? No. And you know what's painful? And you have to think about this, and I have to think about it even as I'm speaking with you now in a very enjoyable conversation. The world in which we live almost guarantees that anybody who has any kind of recognition Mm -hmm. um, who says something, that something is going to be distorted to some extent, some place or other. Right. Um, So I'm talking to Adam Shine, and the occasion was that Adam, who is a fellow Syracuse guy, had just been inducted into the WAER Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. which is a point of honor for those of us who are in the Syracuse sportscasting fraternity. And although I don't know Adam well, he's part of the club, you know. So I'm on talking shop with him, really. And it was because I was talking to him, and he was asking me about the craft, that I gave him a nuanced answer to a specific question, which is that in looking back at these old games, which we all had occasion to do during 2020 when they were playing all these archival games, Al Michaels called me one time. He said, I'm on three networks at once. (laughs) He he was on the NFL network, the baseball network, and because he did a couple of seasons of the NBA on ABC, simultaneously he was on those three networks overlapping, calling (laughs) games. So so I saw a bunch of NBA games that I did in the 90s. You know, parts of them, you channel surfing, oh, there it is. Um, And and some uh, MLB games on the MLB network, plus now with YouTube, uh, stuff just randomly pops up if you have an interest in sports or politics or whatever it is, stuff that you're interested in, boom, there it is. So I've seen some of these things mm-hmm. uh, in the last couple of years. And while I've always been pretty hard on myself and always have thought, if that was 99% as good as I wanted it to be, where did I miss the 1%? So sure. I've, I've always been that way. But in, in listening and, and watching, I, I could tell that I was just a little bit sharper. The flow was a little better. Um, mistakes of any kind mm-hmm. were very rare. Uh, the, the flow was just there. Now, part of the reason for my point, which is much more nuanced than a headline that says, Bob Costas, I'm not as good as I used to be. Makes it, makes it sound like you know, you're broken down on the curb <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a bottle and a brown paper bag next to you. You know? So... Um, I got distracted there for a second. I'm sorry. No, no problem. Uh, so what, what I was actually saying was that 
in these circumstances, you know, here it is 2021. I didn't do any games at all in 2020. Mm-hmm. I did four or five in 2021, and two of them were in the studio in Secaucus, you know? And now you're, you're not as connected to the game. You know, you're not around ballparks the way you normally would be. You're not around the media people that you'd rub shoulders with and, and kind of either get direct information or stuff just kind of seeps in. So you combine all that with the fact that you're 69 and not 39 or 49, and there's a little bit of sharpness that, that goes with, with age. It takes it down a little bit. And I, I think if I were to start next season and do a full slate of games for the baseball network and know that I have to prepare a little bit differently and approach it a little bit differently, that I would, like a pitcher who loses, you know, some velocity on his fastball but understands the craft, you start to work the corners a little bit. You start to mix your pitches up a little bit differently. You can't approach it exactly the same way. But I I think I can still come close to what I was at my best. Um, But there have been a few times in recent years uh, where I walked out of the booth saying, damn, that that doesn't that doesn't yeah. reach the standard that I've come to expect of myself and that that the audience comes to expect of me. But that was as this is here with you, that was a nuanced conversation with Adam that got reduced to, you know, a primary a primary color type thing where the, where there were many, many shadings to what I was saying. Right. I, I mean, I, I think that is certainly a, uh, a fair characterization of the way it was carried on a lot of sites, and including ours. Like, I'll, I'll admit the fault that sometimes in writing a headline, you, you've got to grab and you miss nuance. And I will fully admit that is not fair to the conversation that was had, and I apologize for that. Well, but I'll, I'll survive. <laughs> worse, worse, worse than that has happened and, like, and likely will happen again. But in truth... If I had known that was going to be the outcome, you know, you try to be, if you're going to go on somebody's program, as I am with you now, right. then you try to be engaged and give it your best professional effort. And I was talking to Adam, and out of respect for him and the conversation we were having, I tried to give him a thoughtful answer. And I was engaged. I was having a conversation with a fellow broadcaster. In effect, we were talking shop. And I wouldn't have cared if everyone listening to it, while right. we did it, had whatever impression they wanted. But once in the modern world, once all this stuff goes through multiple iterations, there is inevitable distortion. Uh, That leads me to believe that um, social media is probably something that is never going to be in your future. Well, everybody knows that. (laughs) Well, apparently a lot of people got fooled earlier this year, though. Yeah, they did. Apparently somebody put up some bogus Bob Pastis Twitter thing. Um, and a lot of people, including some prominent media figures, decided they wanted to follow whoever this person was. <laughs> right. Um, but there is there is no chance whatsoever. You know, it, it's, it may work for some people. I think the downside is is much greater than the upside mm-hmm. in most cases, and we see constant evidence of that. And you know, I've been lucky enough to have um, certain platforms and and audiences through the years of very large numbers of people. So maybe this accounts for the fact that I don't feel as if my every random thought has to be shared with the world. I'm not sitting there watching a game thinking, oh, if only I had a Twitter account, I could say (laughs) that 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 was really a slick double play by Altuve. 
and the and the world is waiting for that assessment from me. I, I am I am neither bored enough, desperate enough, nor arrogant enough to think that the world needs any of that. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, back on the record. Uh, you know, you you talked about um, always wanting to be the best representation of your your professional self and that is something that i always thought the original on the record was i mean in the in the grand uh let's call it bob costas pantheon that is one of the most entertaining programs i think you have ever done and i think bringing it back even though it is a a very new and very distinct version of the show um it was a high bar to clear so so what made you yeah. think it was possible to do that because it's hbo and because i'm still the same guy mm -hmm. you know few more years of experience, uh, but I'm still essentially the same person. And I knew that HBO would give me a chance to do something that was true to myself and true to the sensibilities of the people I surrounded myself with. So um, both on the air, for example, Bomani Jones is a regular on the mm -hmm. show, but the people we have as part of our production team, these are all really smart people whose opinions and, uh, and reactions to things I value. It, what I say and what I do is essentially created by me, but I'm, I'm all ears when they say, you know what, we don't need that paragraph. Or I'll, I'll, if I'm going to do an interview, I have my own ideas about the questions I'll ask, but there are three or four people on our staff who I ask, Make up a blind list. Make up 10 questions you'd like to have me ask Jerry Jones or right. whomever. Um, and there's usually overlap between what I've already thought of and what the, the next person out of those three or four submits. But there's some benefit in that. Sometimes smart people think of something that, that I haven't thought of, or they help to clarify my own thinking. Like, yeah, you thought that too. So that, that makes me even more certain that this is, this is a, an area that I should explore or a direction I should go in. So it's a pleasure to work with smart, capable people who are also like-minded. At NBC through the years, I worked with amazingly talented people who I respected and admired, and many of them are lifelong friends. But there are times in network television, it's no one's fault, there are times in network television when some of what moves the needle for me did not move the needle for them. Right. And that's not an indictment of them. NBC is not run for my benefit. And, and in truth, for decades, my interests and theirs, our mutual interests, coincided the vast majority of the time. I think I was good for them, and I know they were good for me. But toward the end, you know, they didn't have the NBA anymore. Mm -hmm. They didn't have baseball anymore. I had done a dozen Olympics. My feelings about football became more and more ambivalent. You know, the truth was that in the last few years at NBC, the thing I enjoyed the most was the Kentucky Derby oh, wow. and the Belmont if, if a Triple Crown was at stake. Because the way, they, the way they used me, the way Rob Hyland, who was the producer and still is of those Triple Crown horse races, the way he used me was perfect. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm not a horse racing expert. I'm not reading the racing form every day. But they used me on historical pieces, scene setting, certain kind of interviews. Um, it was just a perfect match for what I was interested in doing and was well suited to do. Um, none of this is a complaint. You go 40 years, 
and toward the end, it isn't quite as good as it was for the first 35, that's still a pretty good run. Yeah, for for sure. I, you know, you talking about the scene setting pieces uh, and some of the history stuff, it, it brings up a really interesting tie-in, I think, to Back on the Record, because I wondered this uh, through the first couple of episodes of the show. Now that we have something like an HBO Max, where these episodes, they may not live forever, but it's very easy to find, you know, the episode from a month ago, two months ago, whereas with the first version of the show... You know, maybe it got run all month long, but then it got replaced by the next month's uh, episode of yeah. the show. I-, I wonder how much, whether it is yourself or the producers or the writers or the whole team together, think about that and try to include content that could be a little more evergreen at times. No, that's not a conscious thought. But I, I want to do the show I want to do. I look mm-hmm. at it as a television show. Not not as little pieces you can break off uh, and they wind up on YouTube, even though that does happen. <laughs> right. And that, that happens to be a strategy in television, which, if done in a thoughtful way, is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Fallon does it all the time. You can tell that while these segments play really well on his show, they're also perfectly designed to be broken off and here's six minutes on YouTube right. or, or whatever. And perhaps that draws people into the show and increases the audience show itself. So we happen to have some segments, uh, the, the closing essay that I do um, each show, and Bomani's essay at mid-show, those are standalone. They, they can be lifted out. You don't have to edit them in any way. Mm-hmm. They don't need any explanation. They stand alone. So they're perfect little YouTube bites or Facebook bites. But I can honestly tell you, Dimitri, I am not doing the show with that in mind. I am trying to do a traditional, to the extent that HBO can be called traditional, I'm trying to do a good traditional television show that you either plop down when it airs at 11 o'clock after Bill Maher, or you watch it on HBO On Demand and you watch it like a television show. But But if segments of it play well on their own, and so much the better. So tell me a little bit about the relationship with uh, Bomani Jones, because it seems like, especially in those roundtable segments, you two really listen to each other and consider one another's points before reacting. I mean, you said as much as HBO can be called traditional television, I would say as much as civil discussion can be called traditional television. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really wonderful addition to back on the record, I think. Yeah, we think so, and and here's the background. I had never met Bomani Jones Mm -hmm. until a few months ago, Um, but I had watched him through the years, and anybody could see this is not only a distinctive guy, this is a razor-sharp guy. This is a really smart guy who's good on his feet on television. Um, So I thought if, if we brought him aboard, that not only would we get a different point of view, but there'd be a different texture to the program, you know, uh, and we, we position it in the middle. After the first lengthy interview, then we go to Bomani. He has his take on some topical thing, and that's the jumping-off point for the panel that follows. And my thought became after the first show, Bomani needs to be part of the panel. He's a permanent part of the panel. And I think in the third and fourth show, we've done four now, mm-hmm. in the third and fourth show, 
it, it really came together the way I wanted it to, um, which is Bomani's not just there kind of as an appendage. I want him to be an equal part of this with me. So I say to him, don't wait for me to turn to you, either with a glance or a specific question. Just jump in. This thing is like a conversation. There's four people. I'm one of them. I'm, I'm going to be the one that has to call a, call a halt to it because we're out of time. But, but basically, I want, I want you to jump right in there. And very often, he makes the best point of anybody on the panel. <laughs> so, right. you know, and, and, and sometimes he makes me laugh. He cracked me up with, with a point. We were talking about some of the issues confronting the NFL. And he says, you know what the big problem is? Too many of these legacy owners just don't have good enough kids. <laughs> I wish they just have better kids to hand their franchise off to instead of these ne'er-do-well kids they have. <laughs> well, it's it, like I said, it is a great fit, and I wonder, and we'll wrap on this, have you guys had the conversation of how you keep that going when his own show launches next year? You know, as long as he's available to us the handful of times, I think you know he's at a stage of his career He's hitting the prime of his career. Mm-hmm. He's got all kinds of energy. He's got a wide variety of interests, both in sports and out. I don't think it's going to be any problem at all. And I haven't seen the format of his show, um, but I don't think that there'll be duplication. Um, right. So I, I think that I'll be watching his show, and maybe I'll pick up on some of his interests or points that I want to ask him about when he's back on the air with me. Or maybe, maybe since he's on weekly, he'll get desperate and have to have me as a guest <laughs> now and then. So I, I think it's all, it's all complimentary. All right, that is where we put a pin in the conversation with Bob Costas. I, I thought it was great. I, I had a lot of fun talking to him. Just a tremendously nice guy and obviously very generous with his time to, uh, to speak to me. So as you are hearing this, we are on a little bit of a break. So what is coming up next week? Don't know and don't care. I'm going to enjoy my couple days off. I will talk to you at the end of, uh, of next week. Talk to you next Friday, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.